Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price. Brent Hubs, glad to have you along with us on this Friday. Tennessee uh, on the eve of playing BYU, looking to get to one and one, trying to erase some of the, the all of the bad taste from last week and the loss to Georgia State. Let's talk a little bit about matching up with BYU um, and, and talking about this this game for Tennessee. When you look at BYU, Rob, I'll start with you. You had the matchup piece on, on Thursday. When you look at the Cougars, what jumps out at you? I mean, solid, not spectacular, but they're, I mean, like always, not only, you know, do they have some veterans, but, you know, those veterans are, you know, many of them have, have been on two-year missions. So, I mean, if you're, talk, if you're talking about a fifth-year senior, you might, might be, a, you know, Darnell Wright could be playing against a 24-year-old guy on Saturday, just as an example. And, and that's the case all the way up and down the offense. I, just in, in looking at the numbers and doing the matchup, defensively, you know, Utah got after him pretty good on the ground last year, but they bring back a lot, especially especially the secondary. Um, like the, several fifth-year seniors. I mean, they're really experienced. They were good in the secondary last year. And yeah, that's the strength of Tennessee's offense, I, I, I think. And the way they looked Saturday against what was a putrid Georgia State passing attack on Saturday. I mean, this BYU's pretty – I mean, and pretty good, really good at keeping stuff in front of them. I mean, Utah Pat completed 13 of 16 passes but only got 109 yards. They're – they're not going to be real susceptible to the big play, and based off what we saw from Tennessee's offensive line last week, I got to—I mean, I, I got to think if they're gonna, Tennessee's going to put some points up, passing game is going to have to be a big, big part of it. Well, to start with that, Austin Jared's got to see the field better if Tennessee's going to throw the football effectively. He missed a lot of open routes. Most importantly, the whole field. I mean, yeah, I think he's parts of the field. Yeah. yeah, I mean, or they've got to help him. You know, they've got to limit stuff for him and. and and take some of the responsibilities away from him and sort of call it for him themselves if they want to. But, I mean, he's got to have to see the football field better um, to, to take advantage because they had some guys open on Saturday against Georgia State, as we all know, and, and didn't take advantage of that. But one of the other things that jumps out to me when watch, in watching BYU, I didn't think their linebackers ran particularly well. I'd be curious to see how Tennessee, Jesse, and Austin, if they try to attack with the running backs in the passing game, with the tight end, do some things and try to get some matchup with the linebackers because I didn't think their linebackers moved particularly well when I watched them play Utah. Well, I, I think Tennessee very well. You you see them use a lot more crossing patterns this week. Um, and Dominic Wood Anderson, I mean, outside of the one big play, and he had the what one third con, third down conversion there early in the first half. I mean, he wasn't a huge part of it. Um, this past week, and now was that Jarrett missing him in his progression? Was that you know DWA run some wrong routes, or was that just you know the way it, that turned out? I don't know, um, but I, I do think it's important to, to use more of the tight ends, and uh, you know I, I just think it's more you know important to get the ball to both Ty Chandler and, and Eric Gray out of the backfield. I think both those guys, you know, Gray's obviously a little more a little more wiggle, but. On the whole, I mean, I just think both those guys can, you know, present mismatch problems uh, for BYU. I think Tennessee's going to have some answers offensively. I mean, BYU gave up 260-some-odd yards rushing to Utah. Like you said, the linebackers, I mean, they, they lost some guys up front from a top 25 defense a year ago, and so they're still kind of working through that. Uh, so I think Tennessee should be able to manage some success there. They obviously need Jarrett to play better. Uh, they need Ty Chandler and Eric Gray to hold on to the football. 
to me, I'm in terms of this matchup, I'm more curious about what happens on defense. Of course. Just, it's just – and one, because BYU is not particularly explosive. You know, they want to kind of eat up the clock. Uh, now they'll, they'll which, make, which is sort of what Georgia State wanted to do. Which too. is sort of what Georgia State wanted <laughs> they to do. They, dropped to 30, over, they weren't trying to throw it over your head very often. They, yeah, yeah, I mean they, and they, they dropped 38 points. Now BYU will, will mix in some tempo. They do run a ton of formations. They're a heavy, so, you know, for a defense that was confused by some basic principles a week ago, how much have they learned? How much have they already been prepping for BYU? And that was part of the issue against Georgia State because BYU will motion you to death. They'll run. They'll mix in Wildcat with spreading it out and, let, and letting Zach Wilson pitch the ball around. Um, they return. You know they they got a nice tight end, couple offensive linemen. You know they did not. Utah is considered one of the better defenses in, in, in all the Pac-12, and they had you know some issues there turning the ball over. So they're going to be looking for a bounce back game. Can Tennessee's defense respond? I mean, again, I, we've heard we, how many times do we hear eye discipline, you know, throughout this whole preseason. It sure as heck wasn't there on Saturday. Where's it going to be Saturday night? Yeah, when when guys are doing moving around and doing stuff. I mean, obviously Tennessee struggled to recognize you know the splits and the gaps that they were that Georgia State was was presenting for, for sure. You know, Wilson's an interesting guy of at the quarterback position because I think he can throw it, and if he gets hot, he can throw it well. Rob, but Tennessee better have an answer for his legs because he'll run it and he'll run it effect and he'll run it effectively. Uh, I, I think that's something that Tennessee has to be very mindful of uh, and keep an eye on because he's not afraid to run it. We know Ellington ran it some, but I mean Wilson will turn, you know, will tuck it down and run it. You know, on a scramble, you got to deal with him in a scramble drill. He, he's much more elusive or runs that way. Plus, they run some zone read stuff with him as well. Yeah, I mean, he had two interceptions that turned into touchdowns last week. I mean, and you can't, you know, that's a big butt. You can't say butt because I mean that's that, those are glaring mistakes, but. But, you know, he was pretty effective. I mean, they moved the ball. He was, um, he completed over 60% of his passes, you know, and his legs are what stands out for you. And for, you're exactly right. I mean, Elephant gave him fits. I mean, that was a big reason that t- well, we're 10 is 16 on, on third down conversions. And, and it wasn't that they were that great on third down. It was that they were able so often to get four yards on second down, three yards, you know, they, they faced so many third down and less than four that, you know, Tennessee was up against the wall all day, and you know this BYU offense can can play that way. I mean, like so, Jesse said, I don't think they're going to. They're, they're not very explosive, but I mean, they can execute and pick up you know four yards. And they, and they, also, they also have a one one weapon. I mean, last week it was the tailbacks, but Tennessee's linebackers have not been able to cover anybody for two years now. And I mean, they just haven't. The inside yeah. linebackers just haven't. Well, we, and, we know they struggle with man-to-man stuff right. in, the, yeah. in the preseason. Exactly. And, and I mean, I'll have more on this, you know, in, in terms of statistical stuff in the ten things later today. But I mean, Bushman was a guy that was a freshman All-American at tight end for BYU two years ago. A little bit of a down year a year ago, but still had I think like 500 yards receiving yeah, and had six catches last week. Yeah, so. and, and I mean, he's he's a guy that I think can, could give Tennessee big problems if they don't figure that out. Well, the question is, does that mean to defend him? Do you have to defend him with a defensive back, or are you going to play a nickel the entire game like you did last week? And when they got into nickel and stayed into nickel so much last week, a lot of times they got outnumbered in the box, as we talked about, and they upon further review piece. How does Tennessee counter that? You bring the safety downhill. I mean, I think that's, of, of all the things in this game, and we can talk about all that BYU does well and, and things that, could, you know, give you con- concerns and, and matchup stuff. The biggest question is, what is Tennessee's answer to themselves for the ineptitude that they had on defense a week ago? I mean, how much more simple can you make it? 
What is your answer to the defensive failures that you had? Because offensively, you can look at it, Austin. You can say, well, turned it over three times. Quarterback didn't see the field well. Okay, we'll help him a little bit here. We can do this. But defensively, there's not a quick fix. There's not one thing you look at and go, hey, if, if we tighten this up, we're in good shape. No, because you're right. When you look at the offense, they got into scoring position, you know, and, and had to kick field goals. So you, they were ha- they had they were in position. Was the defense ever really in position a week ago? I think the biggest key in this game is, is the third downs. I mean, I think being able to get off the field and you know not allow the tight end to have those conversions, not allow the quarterback to make plays with 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 his legs and pick up first downs because you know you're going to end up in these third down threes, third down fours. So I, in my mind, so the defense has has really got to be. Just about eye discipline. I think it's you know it's the old you know the old maxim you know team that makes the fewest mistakes will win. I think it's the fewest mistakes on defense. I just but I, I just I don't know what the answer. I mean, I, you, you don't have a lot of personnel. You, you can don't throw out there. I mean, you, I, you better hope that you what he says in, about the improvement from two one to game two right. is there. How you fix it in six days? I guess is what I'm. Asking. Yeah, well, and, and and you know, in terms of personnel, we don't expect Andy Batuli to play. So that means that you're likely starting with Ignat. Uh, and Toa Toa at linebacker, I, I would give, you know, 11, I'd give the freshman more run. I would not pull him when he makes a mistake. He's gonna make mistakes, but I think he has the highest upside of anyone in that unit. You know, the staff is obviously still very high on Jeremy Banks, even though he's only been over there for, you know, 12, 14 days or whatnot. But, you know, if you're gonna play him, maybe leave him in a little bit longer instead of yo-yoing him in and out. I just don't think that, that did that group much favors. Uh, and, I mean, at safety, they, they need Trayvon Flowers to play better. Right. I mean, you know, he was a guy that, that generated this buzz and, and stuff all throughout the spring and off season. Well, he had a very poor performance in week one. You know, they need him to play better. Yeah, he had a hard time finding the football in the run game for sure. We saw that in a couple of clips definitely and, and wasn't nearly physical uh, enough when when you, you, you look at it across the board and, and what he does. I just, you know, I think it's hard, Rob, to, to give the guys the answer to put them in the right spot, yet keep it simple. You know, I mean, if you keep it simple, you're asking your talent to to do the job. Okay, if if you don't think you have enough talent, you're going to try to you're going to try to scheme it up to where you have them in the right spot all the time. But if they can't mentally handle that, I think that's the challenge for 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 Jeremy Pruitt when you look at trying to match up with a team that is multiple in formations and moves everything around. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they have an option after all the confusion we saw last week. I mean, then other to keep it as simple as possible. I mean, you get. Guys like, you know, not just making mysteries, but lighting up in the wrong spot before the ball snapped. I mean, am I the only one that thinks the defensive line just cannot see that much improvement from game one to game two? I, I, I just don't, I, I just don't know what, I mean, like, I, that's the one spot where you just feel like there, there's, there's no fix for that. Not, well, not, not anytime soon, at well, least in my opinion. I, I don't think there's a fix for it because I think they're going to struggle all year, but I think we all knew that. I think we all knew they were going to have issues. You know, could they stop the run? What 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 I thought would happen to them is they would get, just get physically run over against good teams, and I think that's still going to happen. I think that we're we're not got to that point yet. Yeah. They shouldn't have got physically run over against Georgia State, and the fact is they got physically run over because they didn't line up right half the time. That's the part that nobody that that I didn't see coming. I don't think this defensive line, Rob, is ever going to be good this year. I I think they'll get better. I mean, I think that's right. But I mean, yeah, but the ceiling is you know, pretty low. It's I mean, pretty low. I didn't where they start at. But I, I mean, I think it's reasonable to expect guys who played in their first you know games at Tennessee, like Darrell Middleton, Greg Emerson, for all intents and purposes. I mean, I think it's reasonable to 
think that those guys will improve as the season go on. But will this, will it be even an average SEC line? Uh, I kind of doubt it. Be hard to see. I think the other thing, you know, Austin was talking about third down, and I agree. And Coach Pruitt's talked about getting off the field on third down. I think they got to be better on first down. I mean, Georgia Georgia State played ahead of the sticks on offense the entire game. Yeah. You know, they averaged what four four yards of care or four yards of play, almost five yards of play on first down, and they didn't hit a bunch of big hitters. I mean, they had a couple of double digit plays on first down to skew the average a little bit, but they were much more of three to five yards on first down or four to six yards, eight yards, putting them in ahead of the sticks, making third down a short yardage game. Three drives of nine plays or more and one 16-play drive. That's just, you know, against a a Sunbelt team. But it never felt like they were – I mean, they weren't in third and 12. No. They weren't in third and nines. I mean, you know what I mean? I think they – me and Jesse were talking about it. I think they converted like two of those. One – Third and nine when um, Ellington you know took advantage. It looked like Tennessee lost contain. He squirted out for you know on the left side and, and then one pass. The, yeah, the seed down the seam to that went so, right so over. Two, two times they yeah. they converted third long. Right. Otherwise they didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, everything else was third and short the rest of the game. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's everybody wants to know. Can he fix the defense? How do you fix the defense? He's a de- he being Jeremy Pruitt's a defensive guru. We'll see what kind of answers he has. Uh, for, for Tennessee defensively. On the offensive side, back to that right quick, offensively, the offensive line, what are you going to do? I think we all agree, don't play nine. Don't play nine people. But who are you playing? Uh, well, I mean, if Jameer Johnson was graded out as your best offensive lineman last week, don't you think he has to start this game? I mean, like, at some point... you, you would make roll. sense, but when we were out at practice, and I know it's, it's very minimal, but we're leaving on Wednesday, the 11-on-11s, it's the same starting five that they... Ran out there on Saturday. Now again, we're not. That was what we're not even supposed to see. You know. Yeah. So so if, if you're if you're making the call, you got Jameer starting left tackle. Yeah, I go Jameer left tackle, Trey left guard, Brandon Kennedy at center. Um, pick your poison at right guard, and and I roll with Darnell, man. I think it, he 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 did well enough Saturday to prove, and that was with you know a, a dislocated finger or whatever. I mean, like. To prove that he can play at this level early on, even if he's not fully ready. I mean, like, he's still really rough around the edges. Um, but I just think talent wins out. And, you know, I mean, Marcus Tatum sure didn't set the world on fire, and he's your guy that's been in the program for four years. Yeah, I mean, and, and I thought, I mean, he also played um, as many snaps as almost any. I mean, I, Lockler played all right, and I think he's going to be one of the, I mean, he's right, going right to be your guard. right guard. I mean, He'll be right guard. Would you go, would you go Darnell right tackle? I would. I mean, I think that, I mean, that will Tatum still be in that rotation? I would guess. You know, my guess is that maybe it gets down to like seven, and Tatum and and Darnell rotate, and then what do you do at, at kind of left guard? Um, but again, that's hypothetically speaking because Wanya Morris is running out there at left tackle on Wednesday and eleven on eleven. Well, and you had Jeremy Pruitt Rob say Wednesday on the teleconference, Trey played thirty-one snaps and could have played more. Was the quote that I mean, if he could have played more, is he not one of your best five? Maybe he didn't play great, but I mean, don't or maybe you he's let him, maybe, don't you let him keep knocking the yeah, rust off in that game? There's no question about it for me. Or maybe he's on a pitch count, at least for these first couple of games, because he didn't really go through a fall camp. Well, then you don't need to say could have played more. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> you know I'm just saying. saying I'm, I mean, I'm with you, but if he's on a pitch count, I give him the first 31. Then I'd start him. I thought Darnell was the most physical guy. That I mean, on on first watch, I mean, he, he's 
you just noticed him moving people. Yeah, I think I think he's got. I think well, I I actually thought you know he he struggled sometimes. No, they didn't run the ball that much when he was in there, but he didn't do all that much. But I was particularly impressed with his ability to hold up. Darnell. Yeah, on the edge as as a pass protector because that's just not something he'd done a whole lot of. So I mean, he looked he looked more comfortable in a one game sample. Than, than one named Morris, who did have much more experience. Now, Morris was getting kind of, you know, yanked back, going multiple positions there, which did not seem particularly smart. Uh, first play, I mean, he and Jameer were just completely on the wrong page, and this guy stunts and, you know, nearly decapitates JG. So they're going to have to find some answers there. And one would think that they would give a longer leash to whichever group they decide going into Saturday night is going to be their, quote-unquote, starting five. I one would think so. I'm I mean, not convinced that they won't just continue to rotate. It may not be nine, maybe it's seven. What if it's ten? What if since Calvert's healthy now, the, the, what if he gets in the mix? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, the original thought, the original plan going in last week was seven snaps. They were going to rotate se- after seven snaps. Yeah. To, to the point that on the opening drive, if it was a nine-play drive, the last two plays allegedly were going to be with two new offensive linemen. They were going to rotate them in. At, at, after seven plays, what was the initial plan? Now, I, I mean, I don't know that you would have really done that once you got in the game if you were moving into scoring position. I'll we'll need never to go know. Back. I'll need to go back and see if they if I because I, I thought the same group played together on that sixteen play drive. They did. They played the first. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, but I think that was the talk going in. Gotcha, they, they gotcha, got something gotcha, different. Okay. But I mean, because that that starting group played the first two series in the right. game. Right. Yeah. They, they played the. The, the fumble. fumble series, and they came back and scored on, on the touchdown drive. Right. And that, that's, that group played that entire series uh, at that point. So I think they decided to do it by series, not necessarily per play, uh, as had been talked about you know, heading in, into that game. But I, I don't know. I, I think that's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating things to watch. I mentioned this in the Rocky Top Roundtable. I'll throw this question at you. How important will it be for you guys to see what their body language looks like in pregame warm-up? And ball walk and running through the tee, or do you think that that stuff's overblown? Because so much of the talk this week has been about lack of energy, you know, lack of juice. Hey, coach hadn't had juice, you know, uh, no energy on the sideline, you know, that type of thing. Uh, not overblown, uh, but I don't think it's as important. I think it's more important to see what you know what their body language is like and and how much juice they got once they got gets get popped in the mouth. You know, when, you know, I mean, like, what's, describe, yeah, that yeah. Is what I think. I mean, you're, you're with I that mean, you too, can come so. out there and just hopped up and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Tennessee gets the ball away. first, goes they were like out. that. They were like that against Florida last year. Yeah. Go ahead, Ron. And they were. Like the, pre-game, the pregame juice was all there. We had Tennessee folks making fun of Florida because, remember, Florida was out there working out in shorts and a helmet. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we ain't never, never seen this before, whatever. <laughs> it's like. I just say, you know, if they fall behind early, you know, because they're going to be hype, and you know, whatever fans show up are going to be diehards. You know, I mean, they're going to be behind them. They're, uh, in my opinion, I mean, I think they're going to do what they can to lift them up. I and mean, Tennessee, once that initial emotion wears off, say Tennessee's down seven nothing in the first quarter, ten nothing. I mean, do, do they lay down and quit, or do they, you know, dig, dig down and find something? That, that to me, is the big question. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think the whole dance around thing is, and again, who's helping who on the sideline? You know, who's leading on the sideline? Who's going that way? I mean, I know Juwan Jennings said all the right things, but, you know, I think it's going to be, again, interesting to watch and see what happens. I think the other interesting thing is, do you change where your coaches are? 
you know, we know that question was asked last week, and it was, <laughs> we're not getting into that because that's, you know, we don't want to let our, let our opponents know that. But after seeing this defense and seeing this team play um, and, and kind of sideline everything else, do, do you make a change there if you're Jeremy Pruitt? Well, the the, the natural and real, the only change I think that, that would, that really makes sense in terms of de- defensively is do you put Ansley up in the box? But you and I have talked about this off air that the issue is that it makes sense if you just looked at if you just step back and say, all right, they don't have a linebackers coach on the field not for inside or outside. The inside linebackers appeared as confused as any unit on Saturday. You have Ansley and Pruitt both have can coach the secondary, both you know can be hands on if they need to be. Does one does does Ansley go up to the box and you bring either Share or Rumpf down? Likely Share. The issue is that you know the Alabama, George, all these guys, these guys just they don't they coach from the field, and so all the state from Will Muschamp to Pruitt to Kirby to Gold, you know, they all coach on the field, and that's just what Jeremy knows, and that seems to be the way he's going to roll. I don't even know if you moved Ansley upstairs. I wonder if you have to take Cher out, Cher downstairs, to, to, so somebody could communicate we'll eyeball just, to and eyeball. We'll just go GAs up top. Yeah, eyeball to eyeball with with well, a rump, linebacker. Rump and GAs up top. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wonder if sense. I just wonder if your inside, if your linebackers, particularly your inside guys, who Rob as Coach Pruitt said, sometimes it's their responsibility to move a defensive lineman if he's not lined up in the right spot. That's the guy who's getting the call. That's the guy who's being asked to do the most things. If somebody needs to be looking at those guys, Henry's a young player. You know, Jeremy Banks is new to that position. If somebody needs to be looking to them eye to eye on the dry race board, drawing stuff up as opposed to putting them on a headset going, hey, when this guy does this and this and that and this, you need to do this. And you draw it out yeah, instead. And I think that's exacerbated even more by Batuli not being on the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I wonder if they. I wonder if they make that move. Um, you know, offensively, I don't know that they would do anything different unless you move T downstairs. I was a little surprised that T and Cheney were side by side in the box upstairs. Um, but you know, passing game. I don't. I don't think stuff. that was a huge. I mean, I, offensively, I think their biggest issue was the rotation up front and the fact they turned the football over. I don't. Right. I don't know that T could have helped Jared see the field any better being down there, or if the receivers ran a bunch of wrong routes and that would have made any change for that. I think some people thought. Think maybe if T was down there, be a little more juice on the sideline. Maybe a the problem more energy. is to, the problem is too. Do you want both your? I mean, because technically, I mean, Winky's only coaching quarterbacks, right? So you, I you know, ideally, I think you'd want him. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are. I, I get the argument either way. Yeah, so we'll but, see. I mean, David Johnson is coach receivers, right? If you, and again, I think the bigger issue offensively is you turned it over. Oh, and I couldn't mean, block anybody. Yeah, and you couldn't block people and settle for field goals. I mean, I think I think offensively, when you look at it, it was much more about execution or lack of execution. You exasperated that in your offensive front because you rotated too many people. But when you look at it, you go back and watch it. There were guys open. You know, there were things there they didn't execute it. Defensively, it was different because they looked so misaligned and looked so confused. So I, I think there's two different things there. So um, a, a lot of stories, a lot of questions, a lot of concerns for Tennessee fans, a lot of unknowns. <laughs> this is not where anybody thought this game would be going into Saturday night. But this is a huge football game for this season. For this program. For, for this program. This is a big, this is a very important game. I wrote about it uh, on Thursday, just how important this game is for, for this program. Uh, we'll see how this program, not just the players, but we'll see how this program responds uh, tomorrow night with what happened to them. 
uh, this past Saturday and everything that's gone on during the week. You got players tweeting stuff. You got two players leaving. You got current players liking tweets of players who are leaving. You got a lot of stuff going on that are potential distractions. We'll see where this team is as they go into this game. Recruiting wise, you had Little Whitehead in town. Seem to say all the right things, Austin. Well, he's going uh, to, you know, you know. But I still think Tennessee's in good, good shape there. You know, unless Georgia decides they're going to take him, you know, to me, to me, Tennessee makes the most sense of anybody. You know, just because it's not too far from home, South Carolina potentially could be a a flying ointment there, just because they're not too far either. I just don't see the kid going to Texas. I don't see him going to Wisconsin. So unless Georgia. You know, doesn't want eighty and decides to take Lenneth. Uh, I think Tennessee's got a real shot there, unless things just, you know, again, all based off of what we just talked about with this game and the season, goes in the tank. Well, that was well, what, and, I, and that's and that's what that's what I was going to ask about recruiting, recruiting right now is is is, is a moot point. No, well, it's just it's, you still have to do it, but it's I mean, a like, bigger pick. Now it's it's you're taking. It's not about bigger, an individual. It's not about it. It's now it's about a bigger picture perspective. It's you know, we had it in the war room. This is. One game does not, whether it's you know, um, you know the the Tennessee's uh, hail mary win, you know, at, at Georgia. Georgia still signed a great class. You know, it's like the one people overrate one game, but last Saturday's game because it kicked off a season and Tennessee was this massive favorite, and no one, none of us in this room, and certainly no one in that coaching staff, and none of the recruits that were in the house. Expected Tennessee to lose that game. There is a, a little bit of you're letting the air out of the football a little bit. It can't pop on Saturday. You start 0 2, then you're potentially your class is, could be in trouble because then it becomes very difficult to envision a scenario where you play itself out and you're still in the mix for these five stars that have gone on the record about wanting to play for a winner. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, 100%. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I, I, I think one win, because everybody's like, you know, there were a bunch of questions on the board, you know, is Tennessee in trouble with Harrison Bailey? You know, it's one game. But if one game becomes two, you know, and becomes, you know, four or five or six or whatever, looking at the schedule, things change dramatically because every kid's making a decision in December, okay? I mean, they're, they're going to sign, you know, 90% are going to sign in December. And... You're living in a world where kids aren't worried as much about the competition they're going to face because you can transfer whatever you want to. Basically, they're more worried about going someplace that's winning. Yeah. I think. I, I think that's the difference in kind of the mentality right now. Is it's more about a winner than it is about what my de- what the depth chart looks like at my position. And, I, and I'm not trying to throw ga- gasoline on on a fire here, but I mean, can you? This is a, a battered fan base is going to check out if they lose. On Saturday, I mean, and so you're going to bring a bunch of visitors in here for the Georgia game, and with forty thousand Georgia fans in the stands, because I mean, I think, I think that's what you're going to see. I don't think they bring anybody in. Well, I mean, but I think, I mean, but, but you're right. I mean, I think but a lot well, of guys are. Oh, 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 as of a week ago, a lot of guys were scheduled to yeah. come in and take official visits that week. Well, no, you'll, you'll have a lot of guys want to come to that game. A lot of them may be wanting to come to see Georgia, but you'll have a lot of guys. Well, and, and, to see that and game. what kind of yeah, what kind of a setting is that going to be to, right. to show and, your and program? Again, this is it's why it's Saturday is is important from a you know you got to kind of halt the 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 momentum or whatever the bad juju because. I think Tennessee, its its current class right now is is fairly stable. You know, Tennessee bet on some guys like Jimmy Callaway, Williamson, some others. Um, the in-state guys, you know, they're solid. Like they they, they want to come here. Uh, it's how you fill out 
around those guys, you know, in these remaining 10 whatever spots that could become very dicey depending on if this season, you know, tanks. But if you win Saturday, ideally, you be, you know, you beat Chattanooga and you go down to Florida 2-1 and, one and, and, you know, there's a little bit better juju around you. So that's why it's important. I had this debate on uh, Tuesday. Was this on hole 12 or 13? Um, on the front no, it was actually the, back. the Pirates game afterwards. Um, <laughs> Living the dream. Yes or no? I, winning this week, uh, you know, start you start to claw yourself out of the hole. If they roll the next three, and I know that's the biggest of ifs, but if they win this week, Chattanooga, then they go to Florida. Does that erase Georgia State? Well, I mean, I think I think you can erase Georgia State as the anomaly. It makes it the anomaly, right? If 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 you you know you start stringing some stuff together and and you I mean you get rolling, you know I mean as as someone tried to sell it to me who's a Tennessee fan and looking at the positive, Virginia Tech won a conference or a divisional title, and they lost to William and Mary. Now Tennessee James Madison or James right. Madison, excuse me. They're they're not going to lose. Tennessee's not going to win the East. But yes, if you get if you get fixed, but now that's a big if. Oh no, I agree. I, you know, that's why I say. But yeah, that. I mean, look, you go and you go beat Florida. You erase the ills of Georgia State. Nobody will forget it. Ever. Don't get me wrong, ever. But it doesn't linger, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, it'll actually in that scenario it may raise even more questions of just what the hell happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, if you go down to Gain- you'd be undefeated. You go down to Gainesville and you beat them, and and, and everyone's like, we could have been four and zero about to play Georgia. <laughs> like, We'd be two thirds of the way there to but, but, bowl hey, eligibility. But hey, you can you can a lot of people can say that, and but they're going to be okay with saying that as opposed to. We're one, know, one and we're one yeah. and three coming out of Florida, and you know what's everybody's buyout, you know, and how and how you know how quick can you get to it? So. Which is what, which is again, why it's it's not hyperbole to say that Saturday is a, will be a referendum on the 2019 season. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it will absolutely be that. And a win doesn't guarantee you that it's going to be a great year. It just as AP, I, I think, used a good metaphor. You start to dig out of the hole. Yeah, you just you're just clawing out. Yeah. You're trying to claw out. Well, to, to fully claw out, I think you have to win the next three. You're showing some signs of life clawing out and yeah. coming out, as opposed to, you know, Rob. What is it? How many times have <laughs> in the last ten years have you written, or even twelve years, going back to losing to Vanderbilt in '05? You know, this is rock bottom. Yeah, I mean, rock bottom's a bottomless pit for Tennessee. <laughs> It's a black hole. I mean, there is you no, want, there yeah, is no bottom. Every time you think there's bottom, you just fall to a, You just keep falling. Yeah, it's like when the Emperor continue. falls in Star Wars. and <laughs> just keeps You never falling. see him land. <laughs> just, he, I mean, just, but he's back in the next one. You know what I'm saying, Rob? Three, I mean, there's just no ending. You, you, you thought at the end of last year, that losing the third time in a row to Vanderbilt, that it, it couldn't get any worse. Right. And then Saturday. One game later, you, you see. And they have, in, they have in, posters plastered. Never again. In, in fact, it, it can get worse. So the question is, will it get better Saturday night? We'll find out. We'll have full coverage of that uh, game, obviously. We'll have uh, 10 things, I think, I think, uh, coming up later this afternoon. <laughs> the cheat sheet tomorrow. Plenty of other coverage throughout the weekend of Tennessee and BYU. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Friday, everybody.